This is Christian Questions. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, I believe that unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word in reality. This is why right, temporarily defeated, is stronger than evil triumphant. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Christian Questions Talk Radio with a Purpose with Jonathan and Rick. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience, and we promise to never talk at you like so many talk shows do today. This is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. And Rick, that perspective is based on godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, all in a politically free zone. Jonathan, the best part is this. We talk and you listen, and then you talk and we listen. You can also contact us at our website, ChristianQuestions.net or .com. I'm Rick. And I'm Jonathan. And we're glad that you've chosen to spend some time with us uh, on this fine Sunday morning. And Jonathan, what is our subject matter for today? Well, Rick, our question is, should you not be a Christian, part two? Okay. <laughs> and our theme text is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. The Lord knows the reasoning of the wise, that they are useless. So then, let no one boast in men. And Jonathan, uh, if you recall, several weeks ago, we began working on a response to a YouTube video that was sent to us by a college student uh, entitled, Why I Am No Longer a Christian. It's an hour and a half step-by-step presentation of how another young man went from devoted Christian to atheist. It was well done. Uh, It was a well done step-by-step presentation, uh, and it was non-inflammatory. It was a treatise on why the author now believed Christianity to be just a story. So today is part two of a three-part series we're doing on this. And we'll primarily focus on a portion of the video that spells out what he thinks are specific issues uh, that he encountered with the Bible itself. So, uh, Jonathan, this week we're going to be looking at some of the, and listening to some of the sound bites from what he was saying about, okay, here's a problem, here's a problem, here's a problem. And these all added up to me walking away from Christianity forever. Well, it's good to have you back. It is we good to be back. We m- missed you last week. I tell you what, it was a weird thing to not <laughs> be be here and, and, and be doing the program. But uh, but our great friend David did a wonderful job. Yeah, actually, Trish and I, we were, we were away um, for a few days, and we actually listened in for part of the first hour. It was a strange thing to listen to the program <laughs> and hear it, and it's not my voice. Wait a minute. What, what, wait. <laughs> I had a hard time adjusting. I'll admit it. <laughs> anyway, but David did a, a, he did do a great great yes. job. Okay, let's get started. Let's get dig right into this thing. And, and folks, we're going to be heading right down the path of of the contradictions that this individual sees in the scriptures, and looking to try to put them in perspective for you. Uh, and we'd love to get your thoughts on 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 how you see these 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 different. Uh, portions uh, of scripture and so forth. We're going to start with Genesis. We're going to start with a little bit of the creation account. So to get started, let's go right to a soundbite. And again, this is from the YouTube video, Why I Am No Longer a Christian. And he's talking about the apparent discord that he sees between science and the Bible. One thing that always bothered me as a Christian was the apparent discord between science and the Bible. The story of Genesis, for example, seemed to be completely at odds with important scientific concepts like the Big Bang, evolution, and even the age of the universe. It was a great comfort to me in college when I discovered the book, The Science of God, by the physicist Gerald Schroeder. 
The Bible, Schroeder explained, was actually not at odds with science at all. Evolution was easy. God had used evolution as a way to create us. The Big Bang was also easy. That was simply what God had used to create the universe. Okay, so he's saying, you know, the, the Bible is just completely at odds with important scientific concepts. He found this book, The Science of God by Gerald Schroeder, that made him feel better when he was still a Christian. Okay. Because it said, well, you know what, the book taught that evolution, I mean, that's the way God created us. We're going to comment, not that, not, not yet. Okay, not, I'll hold off. Yeah, hold off on that. We're going to comment on that in a few minutes. And that the Big Bang was what God used to create the universe. And so he says that helped him feel better for a while, but there were these basic concepts. That uh, in the Bible that were just at odds with science. Okay. All right. So first, first step, Jonathan. We have always talked about the Bible as being uh, in in accord with real, true science. Yes. Yes. But here's the thing that I think is important to understand as we begin this conversation. While the Bible does contain many scientific facts and secrets, the Bible is not a science textbook. It's not meant to teach us the principles and secrets of science just the way a science textbook is not meant to teach us history or prophecy or ethical living like the Bible does. Gotcha. So while the Bible is, we believe, to be scientifically verifiable, it is not, you don't go to the Bible to learn science, but it's got science in it. Okay. All right. So okay. I want to make that point because that's an important point because when you look at the at, at, at several things in the scriptures, no, they they don't follow through with a with a, a a scientific hypothesis and on and on and on because that's not what it's meant to do. All right. So having said that, good starting place. Well, it, it, it's important because you need to know what it is you're talking about. And folks, look if you have a thought on the creation in the scriptures versus the the uh, the, the scientific approach to things, we'd love to hear from you at eight six six nine eight five four two five five toll free eight six six nine eight five four all. We are live Sunday mornings from seven to nine, and that means we're on right now. And if you have any questions on our subject. Give us a call or ask your questions at ChristianQuestions.net or go to our Facebook or email us at Rick at ChristianQuestions.net. All those things to do. And I'll tell you, one of the great things about the new website, Jonathan, is that you can post comments on each under each program right on that program page Excellent. and create a, a string of comments. It's really, really cool. ChristianQuestions.net or ChristianQuestions.com brings you the same place. Let's go back to our, our, our atheist friend again. Um, and he talks about time, and he said that, uh, you know, there, there's one thing that people seem to always forget, that time is relative. This is fascinating what he says here. The hardest part for me was the timeline, and this is where Schroeder's book really shined. Secular and liberal people who criticize the Bible for not providing the right time frames for the creation of the universe, as well as young earth creationists who think the Bible has the right time and that science is wrong, are both emitting from their reasoning one of the most important discoveries that Einstein introduced through his theory of relativity. Time is relative. The time experienced by a person in one gravitational or velocity reference frame is different from the time experienced by someone in another. There is no absolute time. So let's hang on to that thought because Einstein discovered that and uh, that time is relative. And it's interesting. The Bible does not label uh, periods of creation in in terms of hours. Mm -hmm. Right. It it talks about them in stages. Now, it uses the word days, 
and a lot of times Christians hear the, the word day and they assume, make, they make a, a dramatic assumption. 24 hours? Yes. Ah. Okay, but the Bible itself tells us that we got to be careful to not make that particular assumption in, in 2 Peter 3.8. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. Okay, so this text is, is an example that time, a day, is in fact related to its context. It's relative. And that does fit in with the theory of uh, uh, Einstein. Mm-hmm. It's a stage. Right. Okay. And those creative days weren't necessarily a thousand years. As a matter of fact, the word day literally does mean a period of time. It's not from sunrise to sunset. Excellent. It is a period of time. When you say, well, way back in my grandfather's day... You're talking about a period of time, a period of years that was mm-hmm. relevant to when your grandfather lived. Right. And we all understand when you say back in my grandfather's day, that's exactly what you mean. Absolutely. Okay? So we're, we're, we're looking at that. OK, the, the concept is that creation in the scriptures is labeled as according to periods uh, of, of, of time, according to stages. Now. Jonathan, just we're not going to go through the creative days. We don't have time to do that. Right. But there is a very apparent contradiction in the fourth creative day. Okay. And what is that? Well, in the very first creative day, you know, the first words God says are, let there be... Light. Right. Okay. Right. So you get light and, you know... So op- you think the sun. You think the sun. Right. But then in the fourth creative day, it says that he created the, the greater light in the firmament and the lesser light in the firmament. So well, wait a minute. I thought it already happened before. And how can you create light after you've created vegetation? Doesn't make sense. Right. We don't have time to go through that. But if you sign up for CQ Rewind, the full edition, in the bonus material, there's an explanation of what that looks like. Okay. So go to ChristianQuestions.net. Yeah. Sign up for CQ Rewind. It's free. And it, it's all there. It's it's a it's a good explanation to at least get you started on that. Now, according to the Bible, could the Big Bang have really happened? And, and the answer is, yeah, it could have, because the Bible is not about the creation of the universe. It's about the creation of the earth. And uh, there is no biblical evidence, is there? One e- way. Either way. Right? Either way. Okay. So, so you, have, you have the concept of, of the Big Bang that science says, well, this is the way it had to have happened. Incidentally, I wonder how they know that that's how it had to have happened. <laughs> <laughs> we might get into that a little bit because this this is this is a real this if you want to get my blood going <laughs> yeah, this, okay. ki- this kind of thing we gets, are so smart aren't yeah, we <laughs> yeah. well well that's really what it boils down to is that wow we think we can understand how the universe began and yet we don't know what's at the bottom of our own ocean <laughs> that's interesting we don't know how to cure our own diseases but we understand how the universe began and we've just discovered a, a particle called the Higgs boson particle that we say now sometimes scientists say that now that we see this particle we can tell you that the universe is going to blow itself up in several billion years. And how do you think you know that? <laughs> I mean, come on. We're tiny. We're little. We're on a little planet in a little part of a little galaxy that's part of this massive universe. And we think... Anyway. And God must be looking down. Oh, isn't that sweet? Yeah, yeah. Those kids <laughs> yeah. are really creative, aren't they? <laughs> anyway, anyway, getting back to um, the, the creative days. It's about the biblical evidence is about the beginning of Earth for habitation purposes. That's what it's about. It's not about the creation of the universe. So this whole thing about the timeline is irrelevant because the Bible doesn't deal with the creation of the universe. It deals with our home, planet Earth. That's what it deals with. So let's put that in perspective. Now, the other thing is, according to the Bible, could man have evolved from a lower forms of God's creation? No. All right. 
how, why do we say no? Let's look at Genesis 1, 26 and 28. Because remember in that science book, The Science of God by Gerald Schroeder, mm-hmm. he says, well, yeah, that's how the, the method God used to create us. Okay? okay? He directly contradicts Scripture. Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make man in our own image, according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So when it comes to the creation of man, it's different than the rest. You know, it, it, in, in all of the rest, it says, let the earth bring forth mm-hmm. and God create. But here it says, well, let's look at the differences. Okay, S- several bullet points here. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So there is a very specific difference there. What else? And let them rule over all the earth. Okay, so let the, let's make man in our image. Let them rule all, over all of the earth. And God blessed them. And then God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So man was given a completely different role on the earth than the rest of the animals were. Yes. So if you are going to believe in the scriptures, you don't have to believe that the creative days are 24 hours. The Bible itself tells us that. Mm-hmm. We, we can say that the Big Bang, Big Bang Theory actually was legitimate because the Bible doesn't even address that mm-hmm. because that's all long before the creation of the earth for habitation purposes. Correct. Remember, Genesis is written from the standpoint of a human being. To who, understand. Right. Looking at their environment. Yes, that's it. Okay? Mm-hmm. So the marked differences uh, of being created in God's image uh, plays a critical role in this discussion. The marked difference that humankind is created in a different way than the rest of the animals is very critical, and we're going to see why in just a few minutes. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Should You Not Be a Christian? Part 2. Coming up, the Tower of Babel. Did God really confuse our language, or is that utterly preposterous? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick, and our subject this morning, Should You Not Be a Christian? Part 2. To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now on our website, ChristianQuestions.com or .net. All right, Jonathan, and as we go through this subject matter, <clears throat> we're looking at the, we were looking at the creation account in Genesis and, uh, Really, the creation account in Genesis is from man's perspective, looking at the creation of the earth. So if you want to say the timeline's all off, you can go back as far as you want before then. If you want to say the Big Bang was, you know, is, is legitimate, fine, it is. Okay, great, no problem. And that's the point. There, there, the Bible is not meant to cover all of the expanses of eternity going backwards. It's meant to cover where did we come from and how did we get here? That, it's meant to give us a, a sense of that. So, as we move forward now, um, this young man uh, in his journey away from Christianity and toward atheism in, in, in the YouTube uh, video, Why I Am No Longer a Christian, he develops a new mentor. 
and want to just play a, a soundbite here where he he is sort of expressing the credentials that this new mentor had for him and how he ended up following this guy because of, of I mean, the guy's essentially brilliant. Listen to this. The man had been a professor in linguistics and involved in academia for almost 40 years and had taught in universities all over the world, including Stanford, Georgetown, and the State University of New York. He was also a former missionary. When he was my age, he said he had been equally confident about his own Christian beliefs. He told me that all changed for him when he was attending the University of Madrid and Ramon Menendez Vidal, head of the Royal Spanish Academy of Letters and the foremost historical scholar of his time, invited him to use his private library in his home just outside of Madrid during the academic year of 1961 to 1962 where Ramon explained to him with ample documentation how the Bible had been put together over the centuries. So he has a new mentor, much, much older than, than he, and uh, very, very scientifically sound in his thinking. He was a professor of linguistics and so forth and so on. And so you have all of this piling up against while he is beginning to have questions about his Christianity. Gotcha. And this is where the, he takes a, a tremendous turn left in, in terms of his own life. Now, remember, I just want to state it one more time. The Bible, uh, uh, as the Bible creation account has shown us creation from the viewpoint of mankind, it also teaches us that mankind can only truly see things from his own vantage point. Right. Okay? As we look into the claims of modern science and the further claims of this video, we have to remember that fact. We... As much as we would like to think we are so smart in understanding all of the big things about the universe, we're human beings and we see things from the context of human beings on this tiny little planet called Earth, in this tiny little solar system, in this tiny little galaxy, in this utterly massive universe. Gotcha. All right. So we can only see things our way. Got the point? I do. <laughs> okay. I got I it, I want to make sure. <laughs> the, Let's take a look now at the at the Tower of Babel. Now, remember, in the scriptures, the Tower of Babel is where God, it says, God mixed up the languages of the people. Mm-hmm. Suddenly and miraculously, all of a sudden, people were speaking different languages. Well, here is what, let's go back to a soundbite from our video. Um, here's what he says about this Tower of Babel uh, event. To call the scientific biblical debate a myth is truly astonishing. Among educated people, the doctrinal underpinnings of the Bible have been known to be mythological for centuries. Have you read Robert Ingersoll's Some Mistakes of Moses as one example? The Tower of Babel story alone, to anyone with knowledge of historical linguistics, is monumentally preposterous. So he calls the Tower of Babel monumentally preposterous. Okay. Just an interesting thought. He also mentions a book by Robert Ingersoll. Mm -hmm. In that same book by Robert Ingersoll, he he says that the Big Bang was not legitimate. Oh, okay. (laughs) Just a thought, and I didn't find that out. Somebody I was talking to about this told me that. But anyway, so he's saying the Tower of Babel is monumentally preposterous. Let's look at what happened in the Tower of Babel scenario. And Jonathan, this to me is fantastic. First of all, let's set the context. Let's go to Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Okay, so God, 
after the flood, told Noah and his sons to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Very much like he said in Genesis to Adam and Eve. Right. Okay. Exactly. So you've got this. So you've got this command, and they they are fruitful, and they begin to multiply. But now here's what happened. And folks, uh, incidentally, if you do have a thought, if you if you'd like to participate in our conversation here, we're really going to be focusing on the Tower of Babel and did God really confuse the languages and how did He do it? It's eight six six nine eight five four two five five toll free eight six six nine eight five four all. We are live Sunday mornings from seven to nine, and that means we're on right now. And our website ChristianQuestions.net. So so, let's go to Genesis chapter 11 now. This is a couple of chapters later. Lots of people have been born and grown up, so it's, uh, a long period of time has happened. Now, the whole earth used the same language and the same words. It came about as they journeyed east, and they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used them uh, the bricks for stone, and they used tar for mortar. They said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven, and let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. Okay, now, there's several things there, Jonathan, that just jump out at me. First of all, let us build a city for ourselves whose tower uh, will reach the top of heaven, and let us make a name for ourselves. Yeah. Not a name for God right, or right, honor right, the Lord. Right, right. And he said, they say, otherwise we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Now, what did God command Noah to do? Fill the earth. <laughs> okay, so man here has obviously stepped far away from what God had said. Yes. Okay. There's, Selfishness. Right. Let's let's stay together. Let's make a name for ourselves. Let's show our great power and might as human beings. Does that sound familiar at all? <laughs> so there's a major problem here in, from, from God's perspective. And so uh, the scriptures continue with verse 5. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of man had built. The Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have the same language. And that is what they began to do. And now nothing which they propose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, so that they will not understand one another's speech. So now God is looking at this saying, This is not uh, what I had intended. And so I'm going to uh, put a fly in the ointment here. Fix it. Yeah, yeah, and and you know how am I going to fix it? I'm going to fix it in a very unusual way. He says everybody's speaking one language, and you know most linguistic people believe that there was one original language that all other languages developed sort of out of that one language. And we'll hear more about that. Yeah, that and okay. that's coming up in a big way uh, very okay. very shortly here. But so but God says so. Let us confuse their languages. Let us get them to speak a bunch of different languages. So what does God do? Well, let's go to verse eight. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused their language of the whole earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. So, interestingly, he confuses their language, and they can't stay together because they can't work together because they can't communicate to one another. And it seems like, it seems when you look at this, it seems like the God snapped his fingers... And suddenly, everybody's speaking all these different languages. That's what it sounds like. And when you look at this from the standpoint of the the scientific guy, he says, well, that's, quote, monumentally preposterous. Impossible. Could not 
have happened. You so, think because monkeys all have the same language? <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, hey. <laughs> so, folks, look, if, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And the conversation continues online at ChristianQuestions.net. Contact us there with your questions or comments. Also, interact with us on our Facebook and our always updated blog. And uh, you've got to check out CQ Rewind, especially the full edition. There's so much extra material in there, especially on a program like this, because there's e- almost every section of this program, there's more scripture and more reasoning that we just don't even have time to touch. It's all there in, in the full edition. You sign up for the full edition online. It's a PDF file. It's email. You get an email link each week. It is, it, we've gotten great, great, great response from people who get it. They, they just seem, they just, they just love it. And rightfully so. The folks that work on it do a tremendous, they sure do. tremendous job. Okay, so God spreads them over the face of the earth. Well, so God got his way, didn't he? He did. <laughs> so, but here's the question is, okay, well, how did it happen? Did God miraculously implant all of these languages into these people's brains all of a sudden where they didn't know it before? How, how does this all work? Jonathan, there's a very fascinating science. It's called the science of Edenics. You can get more information on it at www.edenics.org. And the science of Edenics is the study of linguistics. Okay. It's the study of language, but it is studying language based on the thinking that all language, A, did come from one language... B, all language, the words that were formed were not just random sounds and grunts and groans that turned into words like evolutionists say, mm-hmm. but, but the words that were formed were actually formed because of meanings. And that, three, the original language was an ancient, ancient form of Hebrew. And four, that this original language was pre-programmed into the human mind. In the brain. Already. In the brain. Just, just like a software package. You get, you get a software package for your computer, and, you, and you, you load it up, and it's in there. But if you don't know how to use it? It's useless. <laughs> okay. But it's there, and it's ready to be accessed. And once you, when you go through the learning curve of learning how to use it, that's how, that's how language can, can work. So I want to play a quick uh, soundbite from e, uh, e, an Edenix uh, YouTube presentation on this. This is just uh, a little bit about the origin of the word for Babel, you know, the Tower of Babel. Mm-hmm. Let, let's listen to this. Maybe you are delighted, even inspired, to discover that language comes from a creator and not accidentally involved from chattering chimps. The Edenix deniers try to say that our 23,000 bits of evidence so far are a bunch of borrowings. Take a moment to read what the prestigious Oxford Dictionary says about the word babble, which means incomprehensible speech. They are clearly upset that the Bible's babble is the likely source. Even as a mere borrowing, this upsets them. If the Tower of Babel were a Greek or Celtic fable, they would embrace it as a logical source. Okay. Isn't that interesting? It is interesting, and it's so true. Just because the, the Tower of Babel, the source is the Jewish scripture, automatically, for some reason, that is looked down upon. Oh, it, that can't be. Right, right, right. <laughs> if it was Greek mythology, they'd say, aha, you see? There it is. Or if it was Celtic thinking, they'd say, aha, you see? <laughs> but because you have it founded in the scripture... You know, there's, they have this, this, this sincere, deep objection to looking at it with any credibility. When, in fact, they have discovered 23,000 
pieces of evidence that clearly link this ancient Hebrew dialect as the original language to all of these other languages. There were 70 basic languages, out of which there are about 6,000. Wow. Okay, but they've got this link all going back to the ancient Hebrew. Now, this is, this is significant, because now we're looking at the Tower of Babel, and God is um, confusing the languages. Now, what we're, what we're proposing here is that, first of all, when God created Adam and Eve... He created them, remember it said... In his image, right? In his image after his likeness. Okay. So he created them in a different way than he created the rest of the animals. They can reason, they can think for themselves. They were given that ability. And I believe that what they were given was the program, the language program was already put into their head. They just needed to learn to use it. And when we are small children, that's what we have to do. We have the language program in our head. Mm-hmm. We just need to learn how to access it, how to form the words. And that's how children learn how to instinctively speak. They're taught how to speak. They're taught the words. But then the meanings grow and develop. And, you know, from a child who didn't know anything, that child can grow up and become a poet, can write music, can, can do all of these things with language. And to say, here's the interesting thing. If you want to look at it from another standpoint, the standpoint of evolution, well, you know, language has evolved. Okay, let's think about this for a second. So then you would be saying that everybody started with one language, right? Mm-hmm, sure. And then you had all of these different languages evolve through the different parts of the world simultaneously and, and coming out with, 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 with sense. How, what kind of chance is there that, A, one language would even evolve, never mind 70, which turned into 6,000? Yeah. Simultaneously. The, see, the, the point, Jonathan, is that there is design here, not merely chance. And I think that's something we need to, to be looking at here. So as we wrap up this segment, the language, we believe, was pre-programmed. And I'll tell you, there's a whole lot more pre-programmed. We're going to get into that in the next segment. Into the human mind. And I think that has everything to do with being created in God's image. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject, Should You Not Be a Christian? Part 2. Coming up, chattering chimps or a babble from Babel. (laughs) Is there proof that mankind started with one language? You'll be surprised. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Should You Not Be a Christian? Part 2. To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now on our website, ChristianQuestions.com or .net. All right, Jonathan, and we were talking about the Tower of Babel or Tower of Babel. And, uh, yeah, whichever <laughs> Whatever, <it is>. <laughs> <laughs> whatever. And we're looking at that and saying, okay, how did that happen? And, you know, where did these languages come from? And to get into that in, in a big way, I want to com- diverge into a completely different subject. All right, what subject is that? Mathematics. Okay. All right, and just for a moment here, listen to this uh, soundbite. It's, it's, it's called An Accidental Math Genius. Okay. All right, let, let's just listen. You know, I'm, I'm looking and I'm seeing trees and leaves and clouds. What do you see? I see bits and pieces of the Pythagorean theorem everywhere. Every single little 
curve, every single spiral, uh, every tree uh, is part of that equation. Amazingly, Jason doesn't have a PhD, a college degree, or even a background in math. Ten years ago, he was only interested in two things, working out and partying. He was walking out of this place, what used to be a karaoke club, when he was brutally attacked by thieves who beat and kicked him in the head repeatedly. All I saw was a bright flash of light, and the next thing I knew I was on my knees on the ground, and I thought, I'm going to get killed. So this guy got beat up. With a lot of head trauma. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he suddenly develops this incredible, incredible ability uh, toward math. Now, he wasn't taught math. So what happened? Well, we're going we're to get into that in the next soundbite in a few minutes. Okay. Okay. So put that on the back burner here. I just wanted to introduce that. You have this guy, a regular guy, just liked to party and work out. That was his life. He gets beat up, and his whole life changes because he has this tremendous... He has head trauma, and he actually has brain injury. Okay. Okay? Right. And he comes out of this a math genius. Now, how did that happen? Okay? Put that thought in the back burner here. I want to touch, Jonathan, just on a couple of very short paragraphs from an op-ed piece uh, solicited by the Jerusalem Post, actually, January 2005, from the edenics.org website. This is an article, Language, the Chattering of Chimps or the Babel of from Babel, by Isaac Moseson. Both options seem strange. Since Darwin's The Origin of Species in 1859, science assumes that after millions of years of evolving mutations, some grunting apes became the gesturing Nathandro... Neanderthal. Thank you. (laughs) I could say it well when I was practicing. Which led to Shakespearean sonnets. Happily, the floating, uniquely human hyoid throat bone also appeared, helping this species survive by lying, croning, yodeling, and rapping. The world's oldest hydroid bone was unearthed in Hoffa. All right, and um, secularists have always considered it mythical that a divine engineer would factory install a language program at Eden, creating the first modern humans. And that multinational history was then to have been neuro-linguistically kick-started at the Tower of Babel with 70 spin-offs, which have since de-evolved de- into our 6,000 tongues. Linguistics, no, Naomi... Uh, Noam Chomsky. Thank you. Proved that the human brain is hand-wired for, hardwired. hardwired for language. He suggested that some super-intelligent alien-engineered language and recent linguistics do conclude that all the Earth languages come from one universal language, but not that recent West Semitic language called Hebrew. <laughs> so so th- the point is that uh, Noam Chomsky, a very well-known linguist and, and philosopher, says the human brain is hardwired for language. And interestingly, no other animals are hardwired for language. And linguistics, linguistics says that all languages come from one language, but they are adamant that it couldn't possibly be Hebrew. Okay. It could be anything else but Hebrew. Right. And, you know, but there's so much proof. And that's what Edenics.org is all about, is showing you the incredible proof of how words were formed out of that basic, basic ancient Hebrew tongue. Now, okay, let's go back to the math genius. Okay, what happened with him? And, and then what would the possible connection be between these two things? Let's go back and listen to another uh, moment here about the math genius. To understand Jason, neurologist Britt Brogard and her team took him to Finland for a series of tests. Yep. 
A scan of his brain showed damage that was forcing his brain to overcompensate in certain areas that most people don't have access to. The result, Jason was now an acquired savant, brilliant in a very specific area. So the brain damage forced his brain to overcompensate by accessing parts of the brain that most people don't have access to. And he became a math genius. Yes. He became a math genius without being educated in mathematics. How could that possibly have happened? Because, you know, are you good at math? Um, not really. And neither am I. I, I know numbers, <laughs> but don't ask me about trigonometry and all that kind right, of stuff, right. okay? I mean, that's so far beyond my, my capacity, it's unbelievable. Yep. And yet, he became a math genius without studying. How could that be? Pre-programmed. I it had to be. I, and, and see, that's the thing, Jonathan. Our brain, most of us use maybe 5% of our brain, okay? What's in the rest of the brain? If we were created, remember what it said in Genesis 127? Um, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. So if we're created in God's image as to, to be able to have dominion over the earth, then we were created, I believe, not only with language pre-programmed into our minds, and probably, probably all of those other 70 language, basic languages were pre-programmed into the human mind as well. But you had math pre-programmed into the human mind. You had science pre-programmed into the human mind. You had music. I mean, how is it that you can have these five- and six-year-old kids that are, that are music prodigies that can sit down at a piano and play? How do they know how to do that? How do they know how to work harmony and melody and all of those things together? How do they know? They have access to a part of their brain that tells them. That's being created in God's image. And Jonathan, that is not evolution. No, that's powerful. That is way more powerful than any evolutionary thought could possibly be. I mean, ask folks, listen, ask yourself, is it more palatable to believe that languages and all of their complexity of meaning and syntax, and there were at least 70 languages to start with after Babel, all developed essentially simultaneously throughout the world by pure chance of evolution, or is it more palatable to believe that intelligent design planted them into the human mind and simply activated the proper switch at the proper time. It's design. So when they say it's monumentally preposterous, what they're saying is the brain is a mass of undesigned nonsense that just sort of got pulled together. And what we're saying is, no, 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 no. The brain is a mass of logic and reason that was planted there by an intelligent designer so that we could run the earth the way he wanted humankind to run the earth, mm -hmm. the way he wanted it to be run. Good point. Software program installed on a computer. Learn how to use the software, and then you open up the power of the software. Good. Very good. So, um, okay. So that's as, as far as we can go on, on the language thing. We want to touch on one other small point here in this, in this segment um, before we close up for this first hour. Um, so he had the problem with the Tower of Babel. Okay? Mm -hmm. uh, he also had a problem with Abraham. Okay. Abraham lied. And I uh, just want to play this next soundbite uh, because he explains what happened and how it seems to be inconsistent um, with what um, the, the scriptures teach. So, so, Fred, let's just go down to the, uh, to the next soundbite. I started in Genesis, immediately following the verses that had been validated by the science of God. These chapters were about Noah, Lot, Abraham, Jacob, and Joseph. One thing I learned that bothered me was that Abraham had asked his wife Sarah to lie to the Egyptians in Genesis. He did this because Sarah was very attractive, and Abraham was afraid that the Egyptians would kill him so they could take her. This seemed like immoral behavior in and of itself for a servant of the one true God. 
Why would Abraham lie when he had God on his side? But what was worse was that after the Egyptians believed Sarah and took Sarah to Pharaoh as a wife, God punished Pharaoh with diseases because he had taken Abraham's wife. This seemed completely backwards to me. Shouldn't God have punished Sarah and Abraham for lying? And you know, you look at that and you say, wow, if that's the, exactly the way it was, then he's got a good point. Is it the way it was? Well, it's partially the way it was. And, and I think that's the, that's, the, that's the issue with this. And, and Jonathan, as we go through this, um, one of the observations that I make as I, as I essentially study this video uh, you know, we're doing a three-part series on it. It's an hour and a half. We're essentially taking about 30 minutes of the video in each of our two-hour programs to deal with it. Um, I'm watching a young man reason through things, but I'm watching his reasoning develop based on what I think, and, and this is a Rick opinion here. I think his reasoning is often based on an immature Christian approach. Okay. Okay. He's, for lack of a better phrase, he's a baby in Christ. He's wanting to grow up and wanting to be, to be all grown up, and, and, but, but he's not understanding how to do that. And when you are, from what, my standpoint, when you are a baby in Christ, you can't figure these things out. Uh, what he should have done was look at the context. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, right. and, and we won't have time to go through the whole thing. Again, Seeker Rewind, the full edition. Go to ChristianQuestions.net, ChristianQuestions.com, sign up for Seeker Rewind. It's a free service. There's no obligation. Uh, when you sign up for the full edition, you get the bonus material, and at the end of the bonus material, at the, at the end of the, 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 the um, Rewind, that bonus material covers things that we just don't have time to cover in the program. So it goes a little bit more into this as well. But here's a few key points from what happened with Abraham and Pharaoh. We're looking at Genesis chapter 20. We're just going to read a few verses. Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. So Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. All right. So Abraham said of his wife that she is my sister. So now Sarah was his wife. Yes. Okay. So you look at that and you say, aha, he lied. Did he lie? Well, let's go further. Then God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that. Okay, God said to, let me put the, I forgot to put this in context. Okay. So now, Abimelech, the king, takes Sarah to be his wife. Okay? He's not going to kill Abraham because, you know, it's just his sister. And so he is going to make Sarah his wife. And so God comes to Abimelech in a dream. Yes, I know that in the integrity of your heart you have done this. And I also kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. So God comes to him in a dream and says, don't touch that woman. She is married to Abraham. And the king responds to God and says, I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know. How can you hold this against me? And God says, I know. I know you did this as a king. I mean, did you just go take somebody and make them your wife? You know, that's what kings could do. Mm-hmm. I know you did this in the integrity of your heart. So I've kept you from sinning against me. I didn't let you touch her. I'm coming to you. So he's really testing the integrity of Abimelech. Mm-hmm. Okay, then what happens? Besides, she actually is my sister, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. This is Abraham explaining the fact that Sarah is actually his half-sister. Mm-hmm. So did Abraham lie? No, he didn't lie. He told half of the truth. He told the convenient half of the truth. Now, we can have a a philosophical debate on whether that's appropriate or not. The fact is, though, he did not lie, but he did tell something that was true. Now, he could have told more and probably should have told more. But we don't know um, if Abraham had any consequences uh, for his lack of faith. Right. 
but we also know that he told the partial truth and not an outright lie. Okay. And again, Jonathan, that is right in the context of the story. Now, look, if you're going to read through that story where he says Abraham lied, you read verse 2 and it says, say she, you know, she is my sister. But if you read verse 12 in the same chapter, 10 verses later, he says, besides, she is actually my sister, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. So he explains, and you'd think that a young man of the intelligence of this man writing, doing, producing this video would have seen that and said, okay, so the issue here is not an outright lie, but it's telling a partial truth. Now, how do you morally deal with telling a partial truth? That's a whole different issue than morally dealing with an outright lie. Good point. So one of the things that we're looking at as we, as we go through this, in this, this young man in his journey away from God and his journey toward atheism is that he looks at the Bible and he says, well, there's a problem with this, there's a problem with that, there's a problem with the other thing. Thus far, as we have gone through the problems, and we're going to continue in the second hour, so folks, if we're not on in your area for the second hour, go to ChristianQuestions.com, ChristianQuestions.net, click the Listen Live button, and stay with the conversation. We'd love for you to join us and to continue with us. This is a fascinating topic. We've got so much more to cover. The point, though, Jonathan, is this young man is taking things from an immature standpoint. And when you're immature, you don't complete the story. You jump to a conclusion. You ride that conclusion to the next one and to the next one. And you get further and further off the path of what really is true. For Jonathan and Rick, it's Christian Questions. We'll be back in the second hour after the news and all of that. But until then, our subject, Should You Not Be a Christian? Part 2. So much more to come on the issues this young man had with the Bible. And there are so many wonderful answers just waiting to be heard. Talk to you soon. Think about it. is Christian Questions. Mahatma Gandhi once said, Even if you are a minority of one, the truth is the truth. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Christian Questions Talk Radio with your breakfast with Jonathan and Rick. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience, and we promise to never talk at you like so many talk shows do today. This is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. And Jonathan, we have got a fascinating topic this morning. We sure do, Rick. And our question is, should you not be a Christian? Part two. Of course you should be a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> What's the matter with you? Our theme text is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. The Lord knows the reasonings of the wise, that they are useless. So then, let no one boast in men. And, Jonathan, we are basing this program on, uh, we actually had a listener write us a very long email several months ago. This was fascinating, right? And he said he, re- he saw this video on YouTube, Should you, uh, Why I Am No Longer a Christian, and it was about an hour and a half, and he listed several things that it talked about and asked us to respond to it. And so we said we would, and it's obviously taken us time to do that. Uh, we're doing it in three parts. Uh, so but what, what a great idea. I'm so glad that he wrote us. Yeah, yeah. He, his name is Zach. Uh, he's a listener from, I think, uh, somewhere in the Midwest, if I remember right. 
And I've corresponded with him uh, via email a little bit uh, in regard to the topic as well. So, Zach, we are so grateful for this. And, Jonathan, I want to mention before we get back to our subject matter, one other thing along the same lines. We also we get several emails from listeners, but occasionally you get one where there's, there's a major issue that you just need to deal with. Right. And uh, this individual asked that we uh, not reveal his name or where he's from. I can tell you we're going to call him Timothy. Okay. It's not his real name. And he's from the Middle East. He's from one of the uh, Arab countries in the Middle East that is not Christian-friendly at all. And he listens to our program regularly on his, uh, on his iPhone as he goes to and from work. And uh, he had several issues um, in terms of living life in the, in, in the context in which he lives uh, and, and how to live the Christian life that he wants to live and how to find the rest and the peace of Christianity. And he was almost begging, can you please help me with this? And so to Timothy, uh, we have emailed back uh, and said, yes, we will do a program for you uh, on, on those issues because they're relevant. They're relevant mm-hmm. to the average individual, although his circumstances are very, very deep and, and difficult. Difficult, oh, yeah. Living in a country that uh, Christianity is not looked upon with any kind of uh, graciousness at all. So, uh, Timothy, uh, we will be getting to your subject uh, in, in a few weeks. <clears throat> back to our subject matter, Jonathan, we're looking at... Uh, should you not be a Christian, our next point is going to be in relation to God hardening Pharaoh's heart. But before we get to that, we do have a call that's been on hold for a little bit. Let's get to that call first. All right. Well, we have Tracy from Tennessee. Good morning, Tracy, and welcome to Christian Questions. Good morning. How are you this morning? We're fine. Thanks. Um, First off, I want to say I listen to your show every Sunday. I really like it. It's very informative. Thank you. And today's my birthday. Oh, well, happy happy birthday. birthday. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. Um, and I was listening today, and I get so nervous on the phone, on the radio and stuff, I wrote this down, but um, it seems to me like history is repeating itself. Um, back when this Sanhedrin looked at Jesus, and, well, no, the Messiah can't be that, it's got to be this, he's got to be this, and put him in a box. Now that we're in this so-called age of science, again, here we are putting him in a box and saying, no, we've got proof, we've got proof. And like you guys had said earlier, they're they're looking down at us going, oh, aren't they cute? <laughs> one day we will come, and they will all see us, and then they'll know the truth. The truth is that the so we're meant to do these things and to look at questions, but to always have faith that no matter what science may say or what what another man they say, yes, that God is who he says he is, and that he is the final truth. Tracy, you're starting to break up a little bit. <clears throat> Appreciate your call and your thoughts. Thank you very much. Yep. Take care. And didn't, didn't mean to, to cut her off, but it was just getting hard to understand her there. Uh, but she, she brings out a good point. We, we always seem to put God in a box, in a little box, and, and, and they love to look down upon those of us who believe in God and, and, and take the Christian perspective and believe in the Bible and say, well, you know, you guys are just believing a fiction. When in fact, the, the burden of proof, well, for instance, with languages and so forth, with this math genius, how does that happen It happens because our minds are pre-programmed because we're created in the image of God by an intelligent creator that wanted us to have dominion over the earth. 
I, there's an explanation. There is. You know, and Noam Chomsky said it was some alien that put <laughs> some intelligent, super intelligent alien that put the language into it. I mean, Tracy, very well said. You know, we, we need to keep things in the perspective they belong. Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And stay connected to Rick and I at ChristianQuestions.net, no matter the day or time. All right, let's go back to our, our uh, video, Why I Am No Longer a Christian, and listen to his next problem with the scriptures. He's talking about God hardening Pharaoh's heart. I encountered other behaviors from the God of the Old Testament that just didn't make sense. One was when Moses had asked Pharaoh to let the Hebrews leave Egypt in Exodus, and God had hardened Pharaoh's heart. Why would God do that? Didn't that violate Pharaoh's free will? Didn't that defeat the purpose of God telling Moses to ask? Didn't that just keep the Hebrews enslaved longer? Wasn't that unfair to the Egyptians too? God had killed all of their firstborn sons and inflicted them with plagues because of this. Wasn't this unfair if God was just using Pharaoh as a puppet? After trying to answer these questions for a few minutes, I decided that I just didn't understand what God was trying to do and reminded myself not to lean on my own understanding. All right, well, at least he decided he didn't understand it. But what it would have been great is if he pursued to find out. Yes. That's what would have been great. Because when you find out, it makes perfect sense. So, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Why would he do that? And, and you know, when you think about that, first of all, let, let's, let's ask the question. What do you envision God hardening Pharaoh's heart actually means? So, Jonathan, without, without looking at the explanation, when I say to you, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart... What kind of vision does that conjure up? Made him stubborn and just hateful to the Hebrews. So the the vision is that God made Pharaoh stubborn and hateful yeah. and and not movable. Yeah. And and, they and ch- he he changed him to okay. that. Okay. All right. That's the vision that we would typically carry when we say, "Well, God hardened Pharaoh's heart." Well, what actually happened? When God hardened Pharaoh's heart? That's the question. And again, folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255. Toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. All right, and incidentally, on CQ Rewind, the full edition, mm-hmm. we've got a whole bunch more on this particular subject of okay. God hardening Pharaoh's heart, just to help unfold it further. Good. So let, let's go back to... Um, what this young man is talking about. Exodus chapter 4, verse 21. The Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders which I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he, that he will not let the people go. So when you read that, and along with what you just said, that vision, I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go, it sounds like it's saying, I'm going to make him so stubborn that he just won't let the people go. That's what it sounds like. And it sounds like he's doing it almost against his will. It does, doesn't it? But it's not true. See, that's the thing, Jonathan. That's just not true. How do I know that's not true? Well, if you look up the word from the Hebrew lexicon, what does the word for harden mean? To strengthen? Wait, wait, now. To strengthen. Yep. Now, that's different than doing something against someone's will. Exactly. Okay, what else? It means prevail, harden, be strong, become strong, be courageous, be firm. Grow firm, be resolute, resolute, be sore. So the word for harden actually means to strengthen. 
So what it's doing is it's taking what's already there and making it stronger in what it's up, uh, what it's trying to do. So it was already within him. Is what you're saying. Exactly. Okay. So God was saying, I'm going to give Pharaoh's heart uh, uh, first dibs on this experience. I'm going to give Pharaoh's mind and his heart what he really wants. I'm going to honor it. I'm going to put it forward, and I'm going to let him have what he wants. That's what it means to strengthen his heart. It's going in the direction he's already gone. Give, give him courage to bring out what's there. Right, right. Okay. Uh, now, now. You know, it, again, sounds like a fortifying, a strengthening, uh, a firm action of what was already there, but not a poisoning or a polluting of his heart. Oh, okay. And it's interesting because Pharaoh did the same thing to his own heart. Exodus eight nineteen. This is something the young man doesn't mention. Then the magician said unto Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he hearkeneth not unto them as the Lord had said. So Pharaoh's heart was hard. I'm not listening to you. I'm doing what I want to do. Exactly. I am getting firm in what I want. Right. That's what it means. So it could be that God was simply putting the will of Pharaoh in the center of the event. Now, uh, one more scripture on this. Exodus 7, 13 and 14. Yet Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is stubborn. He refuses to let the people go. So this is Pharaoh's heart showing itself in that scripture, Exodus 7, 13, and 14. And again, this is not God hardening Pharaoh's heart. Bringing out his own pride. Exactly. <laughs> it's doing. bringing what he really wants. And so when you, when you say he hardened his heart, it's really he, he allowed him to focus. God allowed Pharaoh to focus on what he really wanted. Can you imagine a king allowing slaves to have any you know, say in anything? And that's what he says. Pharaoh's heart is stubborn. He refuses to let the people go. So God did not make Pharaoh act against his own will. In the, contrarily, he allowed Pharaoh to act in accordance with his own will. So it wasn't unfair what he did. Excellent. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Now, there's another word used in this whole hardening of the heart uh, situation. Okay, that was the, the word that we talked about was to strengthen, to prevail, and so forth and mm-hmm. so on. Well, this other word uh, literally means to make weighty. Okay. okay. Or to, and literally to give honor to. Let's read a couple of verses that use this other word. This is fascinating. But when Pharaoh saw that there was uh, respite, he hardened his heart and hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. Okay, so Pharaoh made his heart weighty. He paid attention to what he truly desired. He hardened his heart. It's a slightly different meaning to this particular word. Okay, he gave his heart the weight of the matter. So what he wanted is what he paid attention to. Also, Exodus 10:1, and the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servant, that I may show these um, my signs before him. So, in the same way as in the first verse that you read, Exodus 8, Pharaoh gave his heart weight. In Exodus 10:1, God also gives Pharaoh's heart weight. So, essentially, Jonathan, instead of making Pharaoh act against his will, God is actually helping Pharaoh to act according to his own will, to to Pharaoh's will. Interesting. He's not acting against him. He is, in fact, saying, okay, go ahead, use your free will in this and see where it gets you. Mm -hmm. So the problem that this young man had, saying, well, that's unfair that God would make him act against his will, the problem doesn't even exist. Because when you look at what it really means, it's exactly the opposite. He says, go out, go do what you want to do. Right. He honored Pharaoh's heart. And, and again, one more verse that really helps to prove this. Completely unrelated verse. Deuteronomy 5.16. 
Honor thy father and thy mother as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee. Okay. What does that have to do with anything here? With hardening? I don't know, Rick. The word for honor is the same word for hardened. Really? So what it's saying is honor. Give respect to your father and mother. So when it says... Give give your parents... Wait for right. what they say. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So when it says God uh, hardened Pharaoh's heart, replace the word with honor. God honored Pharaoh's heart. He allowed Pharaoh's heart to be what drove the circumstances. So did God make Pharaoh act against his will? Absolutely not. On the contrary, God honored Pharaoh's will. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject, Should You Not Be a Christian? Part 2. Coming up, do the details of Leviticus with their rituals have meaning or are they useless? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. And our subject this morning, Should You Not Be a Christian? Part 2. To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now on our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And Jonathan, uh, as we get started with this next segment, I I just want to diverge for just for a second something we have not yet mentioned uh, this morning i just thought of it while the intro was going on um we are now beginning to offer seeker rewind the full edition um to those individuals who don't have a computer uh but would like to get it um you know they don't they can't download it sure we'll offer them a a, a written copy every week we'll mail it to them so uh, for those folks who would like to get Seeker Rewind and do not have a computer, we're asking for only those who don't have a computer to write us at our P.O. box, uh, request it, and we'll put you on a mailing list. And that P.O. box is 1837, New London, Connecticut, 06320. All right. So that's just uh, an additional service we're, we're offering because we believe it's such a valuable service and it's free of charge um, to get the scriptures and, and the reasoning into people's hands. So our next section, uh, Jonathan, is going to be dealing with the books of the law. Now, our, our, our atheist friend st- decided he was going to read through the Old Testament. Okay. Okay, and that's where he started in Genesis, and then he was reading about Abraham and, you know, reading about the Tower of Babel and all of that. Read about Pharaoh. Right, right, right. And, and so now he's going to get into Levit- Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy next. Before we go there, though, let's go to the phones. All right, well, we have Julius from Connecticut. Good morning, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions. Gentlemen, good morning. Good morning. Uh, you have a <laughs> you got a difficult topic, really, but uh, I I think you got to put a good handle on it. A couple of things I'd like to contribute in terms of uh, harmonizing with uh, God's word and your your uh, think your perspective on it. Uh, on evolution, uh, Hebrews chapter two verse seven corroborates what uh, Genesis uh, chapter 1 says about man's creation, where the Apostle Paul states that uh, man was created a little lower than the angels. Mm -hmm. Not some uh, species where he would uh, take centuries to develop, but a perfect creation, and God thought it was good. That's so far uh, 
much uh, on creation and evolution. Uh, number two, uh, one of the strongest points, proofs, that uh, God's Word is true, uh, it's the preservation of the Bible. Over the centuries, people, if you remember in the Dark Ages, uh, they used to be persecuted for even owning a Bible or uh, whenever, you know, uh, they would uh, refer to Christianity or God's Word. They were persecuted even after the uh, Bible was printed. They were burnt at stake. Mm-hmm. So uh, God's Word prevails. Now, what a, what a wonderful invitation, Isaiah 118, which you've quoted so many times. The mighty Creator asks us, come, let us reason together. And uh, in conclusion, Romans chapter 9, the Creator and the creature, their distinction. Does the vessel say to the potter, why did you make me this way? You see what I'm saying? Yes. The principle there? Yep. The Creator is greater than the created, and it is the creature that has to endeavor to comply to his rules and uh, rationale. God bless. Thank you, Joyce. Appreciate Thanks. your call. Bye-bye. Good scriptures there. And, Absolutely. Uh, you know, the, you're, you're right. We, we as the created can't go to the Creator and say, well, why'd you make me this way? <laughs> you know, <laughs> rather we should look at the glory that God has given us and, and, and bask in that glory and, and, and understand that God is so much greater than us and be thankful that He is so much greater. And He's a God not only of intelligence, but a God of plans. Yes. So, uh, thanks, Julius. We and appreciate it. And it's good news. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the gospel means good news. Okay. We're going to be looking at uh, Leviticus uh, in, a, in a few moments here. Let's start though with a New Testament scripture. We're just going to quote it, and we're going to come back to it after we go through some of this uh, Leviticus stuff. Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are, in fact, unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. So it's, I said I wasn't going to comment on it, but, <laughs> but it's Jesus being looked at as our Passover. So New Testament being looked at in the light of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's keep that in mind. Let's go to the next soundbite. Uh, this is our atheist friend talking about the mundane details of Leviticus. And it's a little bit of a longer soundbite to give you a sense of the feeling of the mundane details of Leviticus. After finishing Exodus, I moved on to Leviticus. I was dismayed to find that the book was filled almost entirely with rules about how to do sacrifices. What overwhelmed me was the amount of detail God had put into explaining how to do the sacrifices and offerings. One set of verses from the second chapter of Leviticus read, When someone brings a grain of offering to the Lord, his offering is to be of fine flour. He is to pour oil in it, put incense on it, and take it to Aaron's sons, the priests. If you bring a grain of offering baked in an oven, It is to consist of fine flour, cakes made without yeast and mixed with oil, or wafers made without yeast and spread with oil. If your grain offering is prepared on a griddle, it is to be made of fine flour, mixed with oil and without yeast. Every grain offering you bring to the Lord must be made without yeast, for you are not to burn any yeast or honey in any offering made to the Lord by fire. Why would God care about such mundane details? All right, so he reads the scripture, and it does. It sounds tedious, doesn't it? It does. And he's saying, well, why would God care about such physical details? Let's get on with spirituality. I mean, that's his sort of his sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Leviticus two one. Uh, again, let's read reread that verse. Now, when anyone presents a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be a fine flour, and he shall pour oil on it, 
and put frankincense on it. So now, when you look at that, you say, okay, well, and then he goes into all the other details. But, Jonathan, let's just go, go through a few bullet points on this. Russell actually helps us with the details on this particular um, uh, this particular set of scriptures. Setting forth Christ's perfect human character and conduct. So it's saying, this is a picture of Jesus. So now, when you see that, automatically, ears ought to go, oh, wait, you ought to be on high alert. You mean this is a picture of the New Testament? This is a picture of something to come? So now, all of a sudden, the details are important. Right. They're no longer monotonous, but they're important. Okay? Probably representing offerings of praise and worship. Okay. Fine flower, there is no roughness or unevenness in Jesus' character. So it's saying now the reason for the fine flower is to, is to reflect the character of Jesus. And frankincense representing praise, heart adoration. So it's saying that there are things in this mundane detail that actually mean something that is absolutely relevant to the Christian life. And leaven represents sin, so you don't want leaven in the flour. Right. And and we, we And J- Jesus was perfect, sinless. So it actually all fits together. We yes. won't reread verses four and five of Leviticus two, but this is a picture of Christ unleavened, like you said, without sin, mixed with oil. Which oil always represents the Holy Spirit. Baked in an oven. The heat of trial. So all of a sudden you're saying, well, you read this thing and it says you got to do it this way and it can't have this, but it has to have this. It's got to be baked and blah, 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 blah. There's a reason. There, There's not only a reason, there's a highly impactful spiritual reason for it. But again, if you are a baby in Christ, and then look, there's no offense meant by, by, by that statement. And you read that and say, well, this is useless. You're just not understanding how to find what the true meaning is. And when we look at the Old Testament from the standpoint of the New Testament, there are lessons beyond comprehension in the Old Testament for us. But, Rick, the symbolic language is to be understood by God's children, true Christians. Yes. And yet, it takes a lifetime to learn, yeah. well, figure out. You're right, you're right. And, and you know, we've been doing this program for almost 15 years now, and we're still in the learning curve. That's right. You know, and, <laughs> and every week, it takes study and effort to put it together and put it together and put it together. And every week, I am telling you, every week I learn something new. Every week. It's not like you get to Me a point too. like you're, okay, you've got it all together. No, 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 no. There's always learning. And that's the beauty of it. That's the, that's the glory of this whole thing. So... He has this problem with Leviticus, and so he kind of skips ahead, and now he's going to get into the mundane details of Numbers and Deuteronomy. So, Fred, let's go to the next soundbite. After several chapters, I tired of the mundane and repetitive details in Leviticus and moved on to Numbers. Here, too, I found tedious details, this time about counting the numbers of Israelites that were from different tribes. After that, it returned to offerings and sacrifices, like Leviticus. I skipped to Deuteronomy and found more tedious law codes. All of these rules and laws were antithetical to the idea that God's law was written on our hearts, as explained by Paul in Romans. So he makes an important point. He says, look, you have all these laws written out in, in incredible detail, and, and w- the law is supposed to be written on our heart. So it's not supposed to be written out in longhand. It's supposed to be accessible just by looking into your heart. And, you know, he's, Is that wired in also? <laughs> but, you know, he's got a point from a Christian perspective. Because okay. remember, well, well, instead of just remembering, let's go to the scriptures to, to answer this. Folks, look, if, if you have a thought, I keep forgetting this. This is important. If you have a thought, we'd love to hear from you. 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. 
And while studying the Bible and talking about today's Christian topics, go to ChristianQuestions.com for audio, video, CQ Rewind, and other free resources that no one else has on the planet. All programs are recorded and archived online. Check them out, ChristianQuestions.com. And there's so much more you can do on the new website there that uh, has just been opened up last few weeks, ChristianQuestions.com, ChristianQuestions.net. And don't forget CQ Rewind. It's a very important aspect of this, and it's free. It's absolutely free. So, Jonathan, let's go back to the law and see, well, what is it about this written mundane law that was so important? Galatians chapter 3, verses 19 to 22. Why the law, then? It was added... That's what this kid is asking. (laughs) Why the law? Well, let's look at what Galatians says. It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. So, okay, it was added. The law was there in all of its detail because of sin. That's right. You needed to have a written code that would counteract sin. That's the first point that's made here. Next point. And it... It was uh, ordained by angels and a mediator. Right. Moses was the mediator of the law. That's right. So it was put in place and it was put into practice because God saw that for his chosen people it was necessary to label sin. Next, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? And that's, again, what this young man is asking. Doesn't it, this doesn't make sense in, in relation to the promises of God. And then, may it never be. <laughs> For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. So, he's saying that if the law had been given which was able to impart life, then all righteousness would have been based on that. But the law was not able to bring perfection to humanity. It was simply able and in place to label imperfection and saying to stay in God's good graces, you have to step forward and step up and do these things, and you have to set yourself apart. So the law had a specific purpose. And continuing, but the scripture has shut up everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So what it's saying is the scripture has condemned everybody under sin. Okay, but the promise of faith has been given for those of us who want to believe to rise above the ordinary. Okay, so um, I, here, here's what I want to do, Jonathan. Just real quick, I want to play this last soundbite before we go to the back to the phones um, in this segment. Again, this is him sort of wrapping up this part about his Old Testament New Testament uh, comparison. When I had started reading the Bible from cover to cover, I expected to see the lessons of the Holy Spirit that had been taught to me confirmed through Scripture. Instead, I was finding the Old Testament to be, at best, almost completely unrelated to them, and at worst, antithetical to them. So, again, the point is that he was finding things not connecting because he wasn't knowing how to look and understand them. And so when we look at the mundane details of the Old Testament, what we can see in them is great details of the glory of God. That's right. Jonathan, let's go to the phones. All right, we have Robert from California. Good morning, Robert. California! Yeah, welcome to Christian Questions. Yes, hello. Yes, I'm listening on your website. I have to do that at this hour. At this hour? What what time is it? <laughs> well, it's 5.30 here. We're always three hours ahead of you. Wow, that's that. early. 5.30. Well, Robert, go ahead. We're listening. <laughs> um, well, you know, I listen to your program also. Uh, I drive a lot and uh, uh, for my work, and I listen to your mm-hmm. archive programs. So I've, I've heard this, um, the first part of this program, on your archives, and now I'm, I'm listening to the second part, but my comment was on the creator of the video, um, 
he is doing what what I see so many people do with the Bible who don't understand it. Um, and I appreciate the way you guys are taking an in-depth book, uh, excuse me, in-depth look at it. But his perspective is, um, instead of coming to a, a, a position where he's saying, well, I don't understand this, what does it mean? What is God trying to say here? Why is he doing anything? Well, I don't understand it, therefore it can't be true, or yeah. it's nonsense. But you know what's interesting? What's that? People don't do that with trigonometry or physics. There's a lot of people that don't understand physics that, that say, well, I don't understand it, but I know it's true. Other people are figuring it out. There, there, there must be a way to figure it out. There must be a way. But the Bible, he just throw it away. It's just interesting. And I see him doing the same thing. He's not really trying to understand the, uh, the details of the scriptures. Anyway, that was, that was, that's my perspective. And I appreciate, I wonder if he's listening. Does anybody know if, uh, his, uh, video is being, uh, taken apart and, discuss? <laughs> uh, I, no, I don't know. I don't know at all. But, uh, Robert, we're at the end of the break. We're uh, at segment here. We're going to have to let you go, sir. Well, thank you so okay. much. Appreciate your thank call. You. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You know, he made a really, really good point, because with the Bible, we seem to say, okay, it doesn't make sense, therefore just throw it away. But when, when you realize the Bible is not only a book of prophecy, but it's a book of history, and, it, and it's a book that puts ethics and morals in place, it gives you so much more to look at, and that is what we're really driving at here. So, Robert, thanks so much for the call. Folks, we're talking about very important issues this young man had in relation to the Scriptures. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject, Should You Not Be a Christian? Part 2. Coming up, are there two different accounts of Judas' death in the Bible? Did he feel remorse or didn't he? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick, and our subject is Should You Not Be a Christian? Part 2. To be a part of our program, call toll-free. 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.net. Jonathan, that was a great call from Robert. Uh, Sorry we had to cut him off at the end of the last segment. The idea that just because you don't understand something doesn't mean you throw it out, doesn't mean it's not true. Exactly. You have to dig and find find the reality. And and one last point on the, the idea of those mundane details of the law. In Hebrews 10, we won't read the whole thing, but just the last, Hebrews 10, 1 through 4, just read verses 3 and 4. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins year by year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So what Hebrews is saying is they had those sacrifices that atoned for their sins each and every uh, year. Year. Mm -hmm. But those sacrifices couldn't take away sin. But Hebrews goes on to say the sacrifice of Jesus did. Permanently. So they were a picture of what was coming. And that's a lot of how we have to see the Old Testament. So, all of that in, in perspective, this young man who did the video, Why I Am No Longer a Christian, had a uh, had an issue with Judas. Okay. And we know Judas was the betrayer of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And um, let's listen to his, his, his recollection, if you will, of, of the account of Judas that's found in Acts chapter 1, verse 18. One of my favorite verses was from Acts 1, 18, with the reward he got for his wickedness. 
Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong. His body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. While it was violent and horrible, the greed and total lack of remorse that he expressed in the passage showed that Judas deserved this death. The Holy Spirit had given me an image of his death, of Judas walking into the field, then falling forward suddenly, his intestines gruesomely exploding from his abdomen. This was evidence of God's justice and palpable wrath against the wicked. Judas had thought he had gotten away, but God had tangibly and forcefully struck him down. All right, so Jonathan, we're going we're to touch on Acts chapter 1, verses 16 uh, through 19 in a moment, but he paints a picture, this, this young man paints a picture of what he read into. You know how I often tell you, well, here's my imagination speaking, mm-hmm. when I'm li- reading a verse or talking about a verse, and I sort of paint a picture around what the verse says? Yes. That's what he's doing here. Okay. okay that's an important point as, as we move forward with this. Uh, before we read Acts 1, or parts of Acts 1, 16 through 19, though, why don't we go to the phones? Okay, we have Randall from Connecticut. Good morning, Randall, and welcome to Christian Questions. Good morning. Happy Sunday, guys. To you, too. And we have Luke sixteen thirty one. If they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone should rise from the dead. The Bible is man's experience of God, written down by man, but inspired by God. The Bible is not one book, but a library of books. History, theology, poetry, a short novel. But we read each of them for religious truths they contain. The Bible refers to the time it is written, but is immediately relevant to our life now. 1 Corinthians 10.11 These things happen to them as an example, and they have been written down as a warning to us, upon whom the end of ages has come. Randall, thanks so much. We appreciate it. And Jonathan? Yes. Um, Jonathan, look up Genesis 15.11 for fun. All right. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Have a great Sunday, guys. <laughs> All right, you too. All right. Jonathan's got some homework. <laughs> Thanks, Randall. We appreciate it. And, and you know, he's right. The Bible is a series of books that is written by men inspired by God. And what we need to lo- learn to do is take all of those books and put them together so we can understand them. Now, let's get back to this thing. You know, th- this this young man with the video, uh, Randall, thanks for the call. Uh, was, was saying how Acts 1.18 was one of his favorite verses because it was showing the, the, the vengeance of God upon evil. Favorite well, but you know, to uh, him, okay. I, I could see, not that it would be my favorite verse, no. but I could see how he's saying, okay, you know, Judas deserved to, to, to die an utterly agonizing and painful death because he betrayed the Savior. And so, you know, he, he creates this vision of it. We're not going to read through that verse because we don't, we don't have time. Uh, again, Seeker Rewind, the full edition. There's interesting notes on that verse um, that we're not going to get into here. But again, you want to uh, go to CQ Rewind, the full edition. It's a free service available at ChristianQuestions.net, uh, and you'll see those those extra notes. So now, this young man is reading through the New Testament. Okay. Okay, and he gets to the Matthew account of what happens to Judas, and he is shocked and dismayed at what he reads. Let's listen. After a few evenings of reading, I finally reached the end of Matthew, where Judas betrayed Jesus. I looked forward to reading Matthew's account of God's wrath against the wicked and remorseless Judas. I finally reached the point where I expected that to happen in Matthew 27.5. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. My tongue caught in the back of my throat. My chest seized up. Adrenaline rushed through my body and my heart pounded. It felt as if the very fabric of reality itself was tearing apart. It felt like the paint on the wall surrounding me would tear open to reveal an empty darkness. Everything I believed laid vulnerable on an altar, 
waiting to be pierced, waiting to be sacrificed to this horrifying moment of realization. This Judas was not remorseless. This Judas seemed filled with guilt. So filled with guilt, in fact, that he hung himself. God had exercised no wrath against him. He had felt so guilty that he hung himself. I panicked. I turned back to the verse in Acts, then back to the verse in Matthew. I braced myself to face the consequence that my entire religion was a mistake. So he had a dramatic emotional reaction reading this Matthew verse because it seemed to completely contradict the Acts verse. Now, here's the thing, Jonathan. First of all, it didn't contradict the Acts verse. What it contradicted was his emotional picture that he painted around the verse in Acts. That makes sense. And again, if you read the Acts verse, you say, okay, it talks about Judas having his, and this is gross, I'm sorry, folks, but having his guts spill out. Now, mm-hmm. now how did that happen? It happened after he hung himself. That's, what, that's how it happened. It, it, perhaps the rope broke, perhaps he decomposed, whatever it is, it happened after he hung himself. So the two don't contradict one another. All right? that, that's the first point. Secondly, um, there is a point about the idea of, of it said in the Acts verse that uh, he, this man acquired a field. He bought a field with the money from his wickedness. Mm-hmm. But in the Matthew verse, uh, it says that he gave the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests. Mm-hmm. And they ended up buying the field. That's right. Well, now, how do, you, how do you put the two together? Again, Seeker Rewind, the full edition, goes into that in detail. But the short answer is, um, Jonathan, let's say that um, you owed me some money. Yep. And uh, it's been a long time, but then you finally paid me the money. Got it. And I went out and I, and I bought a, a new television. All right. And now, I, and I come back and see you next week and say, Jonathan, I bought, you, you bought me a television. I did. Right. You, you didn't. But I used the money that you gave me to buy the television. Gotcha. So it's the same. And, and we always t- we talk like that. You yes. know, the third person. Seeker Rewind, the full edition bonus material, goes into that a little further. Let's spend some significant time. Or significant. We've got a few minutes left. So, folks, if you have a thought, now would be the time. 866-985-4255. Toll free. 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. And that means we're on right now. And we want to hear what you have to say on today's topic. Post your comments on our Facebook page and our blog. Go to ChristianQuestions.net. Let's spend some time on understanding the remorse that Judas felt. Because here, this young man, first of all, had the image that Judas had no guilt, had no remorse, had no anything, and God violently struck him down. Okay, the scripture didn't say that, incidentally. No. Okay, but this verse does say he felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver. So what does it mean that he felt remorse? So when we look up that word, felt remorse, what does it mean, Jonathan? To care afterwards or regret. All right, so it's something that when you make a decision, let me give you an example. After the blizzard, Mm -hmm. okay, we, um, some streets in our area were plowed and some were not. And I was go- going to my office to go to work on Monday, and uh, a street looked like it was plowed. And okay. so I started going down the street. And then in the middle of the street, it suddenly stopped being plowed. Oh, no. But there were tire tracks. And I thought that I could do it. Follow those tire tracks. Right. Couldn't do it. Got stuck. Did you regret it? I did. I, you know, After you, the fact. You dope. You know, duh, 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 duh. <laughs> and then it took me half an hour to dig out of the, 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 the mess. But the, the point is, there was, no, there was no emotional compunction about the, the, the matter. There was just, you know, I shouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. You know, it didn't work out that well. 
That was the point. It didn't work out the way I had planned it to. It wasn't a repentance right, regret. Right, And that is what I think this particular uh, word means. To care afterwards is not to repent of what you did, but just say, you know what? This didn't work out the way I wanted it to. Now, how, why do we believe that? Because there's another word that's closely related, but that does mean to actually repent. And, and just let's read one of the definitions for that particular word. To change one's mind for better, uh, heartily to amend with abhorrence of one's past sins. So the idea here, and one of the other definitions, is morally to feel compunction. And, you know, you think, well, compunction. Compunction means uneasiness of mind due to feelings of remorse or guilt, a twinge of compass, uh, conscience. Conscience, yeah. So you have a difference between regretting what you did and to change one's mind for better. Totally different word. Right. And the word that's used, it just says he regretted what he did, is what is used to describe Judas. Not the idea of changing your mind for better. And let's show you an instance where that particular word, that deeper repentance, is actually used. Acts chapter 17, verses 30 to 31. While God has overruled the times of human ignorance... Now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So the command for all people to repent is to change your mind. It's not what Judas did. No. He simply regretted what he had done. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this idea, this young man had conjured up this image of, of God's wrath upon Judas, when in fact Judas felt uh, felt re remorse, he felt regret for what he did because it didn't turn out the right way, and he was humiliated, and so he committed suicide. Right. I want to play one last quick um, soundbite about sort of the conclusion that this young man had in relation to looking at the scriptures. Well, I continued to have faith in the Bible. I never looked at it quite the same way again. In the back of my mind, I had slowly started to realize that, at best, the Bible was something that required very complicated explanations and intense research to understand. And at worst, it was the fallible word of men who may have written it to fit their own purposes, or at least made some serious mistakes. After this experience, the Bible was no longer the clear word of God that flowed straight from his mind to mine. It suddenly required the intervention of outside sources to rescue it from being misunderstood. It could no longer stand on its own. I still had faith in the Bible. I just couldn't look at it the same way anymore. What a sad statement. It is. And you can see his faith was deeply, deeply shaken, and soon after he comes to the point where you know he has his new mentor come into his life, and then it's all downhill from there. But uh, Jonathan, the, the point is, is simple. He no longer saw the Bible as God's word being delivered directly to his own heart. He said because it was complicated, and either it was just the work of men or it required outside influence. And the answer is, yes, that's true, that's right, it does, and that's what makes it valuable. You know, when you learn something, when you learn something of great importance and great value, the work at learning it, at learning the craft, becomes one of the, mo the, the, the greatest parts of mastering the craft. Yes. Is the satisfaction of the learning process, learning how to do this or to do that or be this or be that. And, and the scriptures are the same way. They need to be delved into. They need to be understood in a very deep way. You need to look at the definitions, look at the context, look at the symbols. There's so many different ways 
to and, study it and, and research it. it. And the, the, the sad thing about this whole issue is that this, this young man did not, either didn't have a way to or just didn't know how to do those things. Listen, folks, we're not done with this yet. Part three will be coming in just a few more weeks, so you want to stay with us for that. But we're talking about a young man's journey away from the Bible and what we think are the errors of judgment that he made in understanding what the Bible really, truly says. So when you have questions about the Scriptures, rather than thinking, I've got a question, it must be wrong, think I've got a question, how can I learn, how is it right? For Jonathan and Rick, it's Christian Questions. We hope you've enjoyed being with us this morning. We have certainly enjoyed being with you. So much more to come, so many more topics. We'll be back again next week with another one. But till then... Should you not be a Christian? Oh, you better really, really do some considering. Think about it.